You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. We're going to wrap up this short sermon series we've been doing over the last few weeks. Uh, We've been looking at what it means to be the body of Christ. We started with the question of what is the body? Last week, we looked at the diversity of believers that are found within that body. And today, we're going to look at the unity that should also exist within this body. Though we are all different and uniquely created beings, we are all part of one body. That reality should be a unifying force within our church. As we come out of this pandemic uh, and the isolation that so many of us felt during 2020, I think that this text is a very important passage for us to remember as we seek to come back together and work together as a united congregation in order to see the gospel spread throughout our county and even beyond. Uh, So if you have your Bibles... uh, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. I'm going to read that same larger passage of scripture that I've been reading uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, But we're going to just focus our attention in on verses 21 through 26. So I want you to, to hear you know, the, the context of Paul's larger argument, uh, but we're going to specifically focus in on verses 21 through 26. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting there in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. So the first missionary 
ever sent out from America uh, was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Uh, He set sail from Salem, Massachusetts uh, in 1812 to be a missionary in the country of Burma. Uh, Before the 1800s, America was a place where many ministers and missionaries were sent to, uh, but it wasn't until the start of the 1800s that America began sending out missionaries to the rest of the world. And we, as Baptists, should pay particular attention to Adoniram Judson. When he set off for the mission field, he wasn't a Baptist, but by the time he arrived to the mission field, he was. Uh, There were no jets or airplanes in his day, so if you wanted to go to another part of the world, the journey took many, many weeks as you went by ship. Uh, Long enough for Judson to study many books on the doctrine of baptism and therefore to become a Baptist by the time he arrived overseas. Uh, The problem then was that the very first missionary ever sent out from the United States then lost the financial support of his sending denomination before he even began any missionary work. He'd been sent out by a network of congregational churches, but now he could no longer be supported by them, so he needed the support of the Baptist churches instead. He was now a Baptist missionary. There were a number of Baptist churches back in America, but since Judson wasn't a Baptist when he left, those churches didn't know they had a missionary serving overseas on their behalf. Uh, So this is where a friend of Adoniram uh, comes in. His name was Luther Rice. He had also recently just become a Baptist, and he came to the rescue. He made it his life's work to travel all across the United States from Baptist church to Baptist church, uh, bringing all of these congregations together in order to support the work of sending missionaries abroad. Uh, They formed a convention uh, whose name I literally had to uh, write down. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to remember it. It is officially called, uh, it was officially called the General Missionary Convention of the Baptist Denomination in the United States of America for Foreign Missions. And I am so glad that we don't still call it that today. Uh, But out of that convention, eventually emerged the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the denomination that our church belongs to today. So we didn't technically send out the first missionary from America, uh, but our Baptist forefathers did support him so we can claim him as our own. But even as Baptists came together for the purpose of supporting missionaries, that process was really kind of messy for the first, you know, or the next hundred or so years. Because before missionaries could go overseas, they still had to travel from church to church to raise all of this support. So pastors, like myself, didn't even always have opportunities to preach in their own pulpit because they always had missionaries lining up around the block wanting to speak to their congregations. So it wasn't until 1925 
that Southern Baptists started what was called the Cooperative Program, uh, which was a joint effort among all of the Southern Baptist churches across the United States to raise money for the purpose of training pastors and sending missionaries. It was basically just a way for all of the churches to pool their money and their resources together. Uh, I am a product of the cooperative program uh, as I was trained as a pastor in one of our seminaries and sent overseas as a missionary. Uh, So thank you doubly for any giving that you have given to this cooperative program. Uh, But I actually uh, just pulled up the most recent data that I could find on the giving statistics of our denomination Uh, This comes from 2019, was the most recent data that was available. And in 2019, there were 47,000 Southern Baptist churches. And to support the work of all of those churches, 14 million church members gave over $9.6 billion. Uh, Just in case you didn't catch that, that is billion with a B. And over 460 million of those dollars got pooled together into that giant pot of money known as the cooperative program in order to further ministry across our states and our country. And that was Enough money not only to help sustain six seminaries, but also to help send out over 3,600 missionaries all across the world. All because one man became a Baptist on a boat and decided to send his friend back home to unite the Baptist churches all across our country for the advancement of God's kingdom. And I start with that. Because that is just one reason among many that shows why we as Christians will always be better together. We will be stronger, we'll last longer, we'll go further, and we'll get there faster when we are united. And in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, he reminds them of this reality as well. He's been giving this church an analogy about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And he's been explaining how God has gifted their congregation with a wide array of diversity. But the problem is, is that this diversity in their church has actually been a cause for division. It's been pushing them apart rather than drawing them in together. So as we study Paul's exhortations to them, we'll see that any community of Christians must find their unity in Christ or they won't remain a community for long. Finding our unity in Christ is the only way to overcome our differences. That's the main idea of these remaining verses. And if that's true then we need to examine Paul's argument very closely here to see how we as a church can work past our own differences to find our unity in Christ as well. So from this passage, there are three truths to understand about the body of Christ in order for us to find unity in that body. 
So let's start back at verse 21 and see this first truth. Verse 21, Paul writes that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's right here in this first verse that we see truth number one. We all need and are needed in the body of Christ. We all need and are needed in the body of Christ. I think we as Americans, perhaps more than almost anyone else, struggle sometimes with submitting ourselves to this truth. As we pride ourselves in being a hyper-individualistic society, Uh, Especially this time of year as we come to celebrate the 4th of July and our nation's independence, uh, we love to remind ourselves that we are a self-sufficient country full of self-sufficient citizens. We want to blaze our own trails. We want to forge our own paths. Uh, We want to do everything on our own. But we would be wise from time to time, to to take a breath and to pause for a moment and think over and heed this advice of Paul's, remembering that nothing worth achieving can ever be achieved on our own. Uh, To put it another way, uh, there are two sentences which any wise Christian should never say. I don't need you, or you don't need me. No intelligent Christian should ever say, I don't need you. Nobody looks at their hands and says, you know what? They're really not that important. I'm sure I'd be fine without them. Nobody thinks about their own eye saying, you know what? They're really not that necessary. I'm sure I would be fine in life without my eyes. No, no one in this church can live the Christian life alone, myself included. You need others praying for you. You need others encouraging you. You need others helping you see the teachings of Scripture more clearly and to hold you accountable to those teachings. Only once in the history of humanity has anyone ever been completely alone on the face of this earth, and the Lord immediately said that it was not good, and so he created for him a wife and a helpmate. Each and every one of you need the body of Christ. But you are also needed in the body of Christ. There are some Christians at the opposite end of the spectrum who feel as though they're really too inferior to be of much service to this church. You're not the pastor, you don't play any instruments, you don't have a lot of money to give, and so you start to buy into this lie that you're really not that needed in this body. But that's exactly what that is. It's a lie. Your very presence is needed and appreciated and important. Seeing you walk in those doors of the church is encouraging 
It lets the rest of us know that we are not going through this life alone. Uh, Hearing you praise the Lord, even if you're not even singing in the right key, uh, it's uplifting to our own souls. Knowing that you are praying diligently for the rest of the body, that gives each and every one of us the strength to keep going. Uh, the, The church is not like going to a restaurant where you pay some money to this single chef who does all of the work and he cooks up the meal to serve you. Rather, the church is more like going to a family picnic. Uh, We all have our own specialty dishes that we bring to the table. And we know that the meal just wouldn't be the same without all of us showing up and doing our parts. So so that's the first truth to help you understand how to be a community that finds our unity in Christ. You have to realize that all need and are needed in the body of Christ. Uh, But turn your attention to verses 22 through 25 uh, to see the second truth. Paul writes that on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Truth number two is that in the body of Christ, those who are weakest should be considered worthy of most honor. That those who are weakest are actually worthy of the most honor. This this is a reversal of Darwin's idea of survival of the fittest. Uh, Paul is talking about survival of the weakest. He's saying that the more insignificant you may feel, the more indispensable you actually are, which is completely countercultural to how we so often view the world. But if we want to work together as a unified body, that must become how we see the church. When you think about the human anatomy, It's often the parts of our body that are hidden from view that are actually the most vital. Uh, As another pastor, John MacArthur, put it, he said, This is why every sensible person will be more concerned with his heart than his hair. Uh, Many men in this church can understand that you can live without your hair, uh, but you cannot live without a heart. Uh, Just think about those organs that are inside your rib cage. Uh, You you can't see them. You don't always pay that much attention to them. They're not always as attractive as other parts of the body. But you're going to protect them with everything you've got. Uh, That's why they're inside the rib cage to begin with. Because if they were left exposed, then they're not going to last for very long. And if they don't last 
then the rest of the body is not going to last. Uh, It's not always the loudest and most outspoken members of the church that will be the most vital to our survival. Sometimes it's the members who are largely hidden out of sight. Those with a a quiet resolve to pray daily for others in our church and who are giving sacrificially to our church, even when it might not seem like to others that they have very much to give. Often, it's the seemingly insignificant members that, that we ought to protect as though they are vital organs inside our rib cage, because they are. Sometimes it's those seemingly unpresentable members of our church, which sometimes we prefer not to have to acknowledge or we don't really want to be associated with. Sometimes it's those members that we actually ought to treat with the most modesty and respect because they are the ones that are utterly indispensable to the mission of the church. So we all need and are needed in the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we must treat those who are weakest as being worthy of the most honor. But lastly, if we want to see any lasting unity in our church, we also must understand that the body of Christ is only as strong as its weakest member. That's why we ought to go out of our way and protect and honor those members because the health of our church depends on their health. We see that in the final verse of our text, verse 26. Paul writes that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored all rejoice together. Just imagine that you are walking across a dark room and suddenly you stub your toe. In that moment, I guarantee that you are not thinking about how your hand is feeling. That you don't fall and break your leg and think to yourself, man, my arm is doing really good today. No, If one part of your body suffers, then you as a whole are going to suffer too. Any damage done to a single organ will have ramifications that will ripple through the rest of the body. And so it is with the body of Christ. We we are all so interconnected that when one member suffers, we all suffer. So if we want to rejoice and be healthy, you must first make sure that our most vulnerable members are being taken care of because the body of Christ is only as strong as our weakest member. I've preached uh, on this text before, uh, but Acts chapter 2 just gives you such a great example of a church who understood this truth. Uh, Starting in verse 44, Luke reminds us that about the early church in Jerusalem saying that all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this 
wasn't some kind of weird form of Christian communism. Uh, No one was obligated to sell any of their possessions if they didn't want. But the early Christians in Jerusalem knew that they were only as strong as the weakest among them. And if any suffered, then they would all suffer. So they willingly sold their possessions to make sure that no one among them had any need. And as a result of that, if you read down in verse 47, we're told that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So not only were they a healthier church because they cared for those who couldn't care for themselves, uh, but they also became a growing church as well. Uh, We don't often think about this, but one of the, the primary means by which we can see the advancement of the gospel is our unity. Unity is one of the greatest evangelistic strategies we have at our disposal. When so many believers from so many different backgrounds uh, that, that seemingly shouldn't have anything in common with one another, when we all come to work together and can live in such harmony together, that requires a supernatural explanation to the outside world. Our unity and love for one another can actually point others to a better understanding of the gospel. But only if we are genuinely caring for and and taking care of one another's needs. And only if we understand that we are as strong only as our our weakest members. So I began by talking about what happened when uh, that one man in a boat became a Baptist and sent his friend back home to unify all of the Baptist churches across our country Uh, We saw that there was significant fruit born from that unity. But I want to end by talking about the fruit which resulted from a different kind of unity. I want you to, to think about the Trinity for just a moment and the unity that existed from eternity past within the Godhead. Uh, Your own salvation was not accomplished by the rogue lone gunman actions of Jesus alone. Salvation was God the Father's plan, but it was implemented through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And it was brought to completion only as the Holy Spirit then brought your soul from death to life because of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So if God himself worked in unity and harmony to bring about your very salvation, then how much more important is that unity for you and I? It was the unity found within the Trinity that laid the groundwork for the very kingdom of God. And only the unity found within a church that is totally dependent upon that trinity can ever advance that kingdom any further. So as you leave today, 
Uh, I do hope that you'll go home, maybe shoot off some fireworks uh, and celebrate our independence, uh, celebrate Independence Day. But even more than that, I hope you'll also celebrate the reality, not just of our independence, but rather of our interdependence. The fact that though we are a diverse body of believers with many differences, we are all desperately dependent upon one another and on the grace of God. And so unless this community that is our church finds our unity in Christ, then we will never have a unity that lasts. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for your own uh, unity within the Trinity uh, that, that worked together uh, for our own salvation and to bring us from death to life. Um, we pray uh, for our church, Father, that we would have a unity like this and we would be a unified body. Uh, let us not see our individual gifts uh, as, as something that just benefits ourselves but rather that would just be for the mutual encouragement of one another. Father, I pray that that understanding that would just allow us then to work together to see your kingdom and to grow uh, your kingdom and just see that kingdom be strengthened. We love you, Father, and we just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.